welcome back to the All In Podcast. Pastor Tim Aiken here, Pastor First Baptist Douglasville, joined for the third week in a row by my dad, my hero, uh, Danny Aiken, Dr. Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I'm sure dad will be back on the podcast, but today will be the last time we'll have him for this uh, theology uh, series. And so what we are doing Again, our theme this year is all in, going all in with Jesus, his church, and his mission. And so we're thinking for the next several weeks, what does it look like to have a correct biblical understanding of the biblical doctrines and teachings of the scriptures? And so, so far, we've talked about the doctrine of the Bible. Last week, we talked about the doctrine of God. And then today, as we continue this series, we're going to talk about two doctrines together that really are closely wed together, doctrine of humanity and the doctrine of sin. We are trying to do the impossible, talk through all these doctrines in less than 30 minutes. And so we've got a lot to jump into today. So we'll just jump in. And then dad, I will warn you, we're going to end today because I like to do this with all of our new guests with what I call the two minute drill. Obviously we're a football family. We love, we love football. My first ever guest, you know, was pastor Eli bird, you know, pastor Eli real well. So he played college football. We did a two minute drill to end his first time on the podcast, every new guest I have. So I'm not going to tell you what those questions are. They'll just be random kind of more personal questions. You'll answer quickly as you can. And that's how we'll end. And the, the listeners will get to know you uh, a little bit better at the end of our, of our time. So all right, let's jump into the doctrine of humanity. So let's begin with this question. What, what does it mean when the Bible says that we were created in the image of God? What does it mean to be created in God's image? Well, that's a great question. And interestingly, the church has uh, been in the same uh, ballpark but they've not always answered the question exactly the same way. Uh, for example, uh, during the medieval period, it was especially popular to equate uh, the image with rationality. Uh, in other words, how are humans different from animals? And the idea of rationality was highlighted. And I certainly think there is some truth to that. Uh, but in our contemporary day, among evangelicals, uh, the idea of rulership has begun to take on a more prominent uh, perspective. And I can understand why, because if you go to Genesis 1, 26 through 31, but especially verses 26 and 27, uh, we're told that we are made in the image and likeness of God for the purpose of having dominion hmm. over God's creation. And so many would say that the idea of being God's, for lack of a better term, vice regent, uh, his little kings on earth under his total kingship is what is at the heart of the image of God. And I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I would say that I think that absolutely is there in the text, but I think it's more than that. And so what I'm going to do, Tim, is I'm going to give you uh, several R words that I think capture the, the, the fullness of the image. I do think rationality still belongs there. I agree that rulership also belongs there. But I also would say that the idea of relationship also must be present as well, because as we talked about in a previous episode, our triune God exists as, a, as one God in three persons, in community, in relationship with one another. And so I believe that bearing the image of God means that we exist first and foremost in relationship 
with God, but mm. also in relationship with one another, in relationship with God's good creation, mm. but also in proper relationship even within ourselves. All of which, by the way, gets totally disrupted by sin. Mm. So I do think the idea of bearing God's image and likeness is not simplistic. It's a little bit more complex, but not in the sense of being unwielding. Just think again in terms of rulership, relationship, uh, and also um, with the ability of uh, rationality and resemblance in God in that kind of a way. Yeah. Okay, very good. Now, what I want to just piggyback on for a minute is, is relationship. Just because as a pastor, as obviously a husband, father of, of you know, six kids, you know, relationship is so significant in my life, and it is for everybody. And so if, you know, if we as people ever wonder, why is it that we desire to belong? Why is it that we don't like to feel lonely? Why is it that we want to have friendship? It's because that's how we have been created. You know, it's created by God. Even if you're introverted, you still desire relationship. You may not want a bunch of friends, but you want some close friends. And right. and there's a reason why the Bible, we'll talk more about this when we get to the doctrine of the church, but there's a reason why the Bible talks about the church in plural plural language, right? And, and this idea of relation, the body of Christ, the family of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, a building, this idea of something that's built up, it's something that's, that's more than just one. And, you know, I heard this through, through seminary, through Southeastern Seminary, where I went this idea that we are saved in relationship, the idea that salvation itself is a community event. So often we think, I made the decision to follow Jesus and he saved me. And we think about it in individualistic terms, when in reality, salvation really is a community event. You're saved into a new family, namely the church. And, and so I just think that idea of community is so significant, especially in an individualistic society, no, we are we are community people because our God is a community God. That's part of what it means to be made uh, in the image of God. And you hit the other ones really, really well. Uh, also, well, Tim, radical individualism is an American ideal, not a biblical ideal. They always thought in terms of community. You just read fairly the totality of Scripture and the idea of a radical individuality is just foreign to the Bible. I would also point out that in America's history, uh, our, our what is sometimes referred to as our original sin, racism at its very core is a denial of the image of God in all persons and a denial of God's desire for community to exist within all persons, which is why when the kingdom is restored and we're e enjoying the new heaven and the new earth, we will exist in perfect community with brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So what God intended in the beginning, we long for and will actually enjoy in the restoration of the new creation. Right. right. That's exactly right. So, you know, so this idea that's, it's a good, it's a good thing in many ways right now we're, you know, we're living in a society where there's, there, there's this push for diversity. There's this push for equality. There's, and, and obviously the thing that I always want to say is those are actually biblical ideas. And so we shouldn't look to some kind of human government, wherever you, wherever you land on the political spectrum, doesn't matter. As Christians, we should say, no, these are God given 
biblical ideas from the very beginning of the Bible. So one thing that I was going to ask you to follow up on, and you started it, was because we're made in the image of God, what implications does that have for things like racism or things like the sanctity of all uh, human life and, and, and things of that? What implications does that have for us as believers? Because we believe that all people are made in God's image. Well, Tim, I think one way we could say it is this. All persons and every person from the moment of conception to death is a full image bearer of God. So that includes the infant in the womb of his or her mother. But that also includes the aged man or woman who no longer sees well, no longer hears well. Perhaps they are limited in their mobility or limited in their mental capacities. The fullness of the image of God still remains in them fully and completely. So that's why we, for example, as evangelicals who believe the Bible, affirm not a quality of life ethic, but a sanctity of life ethic. All life, every life is sacred before God regardless of ethnicity, regardless of education, regardless of their age or their mental or physical capacities, all bear fully and completely the image of God, which is why all Christians should be defenders of all life anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. And so obviously as a church here at First Baptist, we put this in our New members material. We'll make sure everybody knows this. We talk specifically about the view, the 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 uh, topic of abortion, and we're a pro-life church, and so we defend the sanctity of the unborn. But and you and I dad to us a lot, kind of in our own private life. But to truly be pro-life as a Christian means that you're pro-life from conception, the unborn, all the way until death. And I know that some people say, well, that when you say it that way, it waters down the importance of defending the unborn. Not enough. Yeah, I, I don't. My mind can't 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 figure that one out. I don't get that. Uh, it just says no. We 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 just make it that much greater, and and it's, it's just that much. It's just that much uh, bigger to be truly and fully uh, pro life because we believe in the sanctity. And and you know, I've said this before. You know, your your mom, who's your hero, and you know, my grandmother uh, Lulu. Um, she died from Alzheimer's. And even as she was getting worse and worse and worse with that horrible disease, she was still able to call out and cry out to the Lord and remember some scriptures and remember things about her relationship with with God. So when we when we say that this ability for relationship, namely relationship with God and relationship with others is part of being in the image of God, you see that even in someone who's not there mentally where they went, where they once were. And they're still able to have this relationship with, with God because of the way that he has made us and created us. And that's why we believe in that sanctity of, of all people. What I like to say is um, we start with the unborn, but we don't stop there. Mm. We start there, but we don't stop there. It should be the starting place because uh, today, um, on the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, mm. we've now uh, seen more than 60 million infants uh, killed in the womb of their mother. 60 million. 
And so that is the right place for us to start and wave the flag and lift up the banner in terms of our pro-life ethic, but it is not where we want to stop because just as we begin to cheapen life on the front end, we're already seeing it now, we begin to cheapen life on the backside and we even begin to talk in categories that says some people have a moral obligation to die. Mm. And once you start chipping away on the two ends, it starts eating toward one another. It's inevitable in a world where you have sinful fallen humans. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. All right. Let's talk about Adam and Eve for a minute. So Adam and Eve, uh, according to what we believe the scripture teaches were created by God, first humans created by God. And so when they were, when they were created by God, okay, in their original created form. Uh, real people in a real garden. Okay, so 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 real people in a real garden. So so question one, do we as Christians, do we need to believe in an historical Adam and Eve? Is that is that a key doctrine to being a Bible-believing Christian? It's not only a key doctrine. I think it's a non-negotiable doctrine. Okay. Now, you don't have to believe in a historical Adam and Eve to be a Christian. Okay. You do have to believe in a historical Adam and Eve to be orthodox and to believe what the Bible clearly teaches. Furthermore, here's the bottom line. And I had a uh, discussion with a more liberal Old Testament professor one day. I asked him because he was waffling on Genesis 1 through 3. And I said, what he kept saying was, I believe it's true. And I said, well, that's wonderful. I believe it's true, too. Do you believe it's historical? And he said again. Well, I believe it's true. And I said, well, that's good. I believe it's true, too. But do you believe it's historical? And he said, I believe it's true. <laughs> Which I then said, all right, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus believed in historical Adam and Eve? And he said, I think we can end our conversation right here. Um, we're not going to agree. And I don't think you're going to want to hire me to teach at your school. <laughs> and I said, uh, you're right. I'm not going to hire you to teach at my school. But let's talk about this issue. He did not want to. But mm -hmm. here's the bottom line. It can't, again comes back to Jesus, Tim. Um, Jesus clearly believed in historical Adam and Eve. Paul clearly believed in historical Adam and Eve. And so though I realized one can have differing views on creation, old earth, new earth, and things of that nature, the historicity of Adam and Eve as the primordial parents of the entire human race, that is not up for negotiation or debate. Yes, you must believe that. Yeah, so the reason I want to get that, because that begins kind of to, to link us to connecting it with sin. And so obviously they're they're the first human beings, and you know, the Bible talks in language of kind of uh, representative, uh, not kind of, the Bible does talk about language of, of them representing us. And so We'll start start with this question, and we'll kind of move into the doctrine of, of sin. So, first question, not a trick question, honestly asking it: When Adam and Eve were created, so they're in, in their original created state before the fall. Okay, were they created by God, innocent, or or were they perfect? How, how do we understand kind of their original state prior to their sin? Well, innocence, I think, is a better word to describe them. But I would not be opposed to talking about a contingent or a provisional perfection. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, prior to the fall, 
they were not in any way tainted by sin. And therefore, before the fall, I believe the Bible teaches they would have lived forever with no negative impacts in terms of their mental capacities or their physical capabilities as well. Well, that sure sounds like a type of perfection. Now, when we speak again of perfection of Adam and Eve, we have to speak of it in terms of being relative or contingent because it, whereas God is perfect and is not dependent upon anything or anyone, Adam and Eve had a relative perfection that was completely and totally dependent upon their relationship to God. So innocence is a really good word. Perfection, if you clarify it uh, and define it. Okay. All right. So God's perfect with a big P. They were perhaps perfect with a little P. Okay. All right. So innocent, little P, perfect, something like that. That that describes their uh, their position prior to the fall. And obviously, yes. the Bible describes their relationship with each other. It was a It was a good relationship. They're, we don't know of any marital counseling that they needed or any marital strife that they had prior to the fall. Their relationship with God was was what it should be, was good. And then uh, they, they fall. Now, let me ask you this question. So they fall because the Bible says they ate from the tree that they should not have eaten from, the tree that God told them to not eat from. Why, why did God give them that command if they were innocent and their relationship with each other was good relationship with god was good why did god give the command well i believe god was putting them to the test okay. to see if they loved god more than they loved being like god themselves that was the core of what the serpent the serpent uh tempted them with in the day that you eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil you will be like god which by the way was a half truth Right. Uh, they were like God and that now they understood good and evil, right. uh, but it was a complete lie in that it did not make them God. It plunged them toward death. Right. And so, but again, at the core of all sin is pride and right. at the core of pride is self. And so by taking of that fruit, they failed the test and in essence said to God, I love me more than I love you. Yeah. Okay, so, so unpack that a little bit more, that idea that at the core of every sin. So when I sin, you said that the, the root of it is pride, and that the root of pride is self. And so when I'm sinning, it's, it's a pride issue, it's a selfishness issue. Kind of unpack that just a little bit more. Well, it's ultimately an issue of idolatry. Okay. Because we all worship something. And by taking of the tree of, uh, the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil, and uh, disobeying God, they, in essence, turned themselves into their own standard of righteousness and their own standard of truth and their own standard of reality, which is, again, at its very core, idolatry. They violated the first commandment to not have any God before me. They looked at themselves because they wanted to be God, which is, in essence, what all sinners want to do. We want to be autonomous. We want to be the one that determined. We want to be, to quote the old song, the captain of our own ship and the captain of our own destiny. Yeah. That is at the heart of all sin, which is pride, which is self and is idolatry. They are really interwoven and it's hard to extricate any one of those three truths from one another. OK. All right. So then so they 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 you know they they succumb to the temptation. And as a result, what are. 
I mean, we call that the fall. Okay, so what are the consequences then of Adam and Eve's sin? I mean, how, how deep does that go for humanity, but also for all of creation because of their, their sin? Well, I taught on this a few years ago, and I put together how I felt like the fall affected the mind, the will, and the emotions. And what I said was the fall damaged man's will, uh, the fall deceived man's mind, uh, and the fall distorted man's emotions. Now, let me answer and ask a, ask and answer a question. Did the fall destroy the image of God in man? No, it did not. But it certainly damaged it. Uh, it did not erase it, but it certainly damaged it. And so our minds were affected. Our will was affected and our emotions were affected. We, we use the phrase total depravity which does not mean that people are as bad as they could be. That's not what it means. But it does mean every aspect of our being, mind, will, emotion, has been infected by the germ and the disease of sin so that we think, but we think wrongly. We act, but we act wrongly. And we feel, but we feel wrongly. Everything is tainted and infected and damaged by sin. And that is true of every human being. What we often say, and it's in the Baptist faith and message, is we come into this world with a sin nature. So that everything that we do, even our good things, are still tainted by sin, which is why Isaiah says all of our righteous acts are like filthy garments. Okay, and that's a result of our first parents, Adam and Eve. So what would we you say? Their nature. Okay, so what would you say to the person that says, well, that, that's not fair. I mean, what, why Why do I have to deal uh, and, 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 and live out the consequences of decisions that somebody made literally, and depending on your view of the age of the earth, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, why do I have to deal with those consequences? Well, uh, it's no more fair than Jesus Christ being your substitute <laughs> and your representative in salvation. That's not fair either. Right. So what I would say is God first ordained that Adam and Eve would serve as the representatives of the human race. That was a divinely sovereign choice by God. So who are you to tell God what he can do? That'd be the first thing I would say. Secondly, I have little doubt that had you been the one in the garden You'd have done the same thing, even though you would have been innocent. You might have made a better decision than they would have. Well, first of all, that's awful prideful and arrogant of you to say that, which right there makes me doubt that you would have passed the test either. <laughs> so that doesn't help. So it was God's plan that it be that way. And secondly, when we see Adam and Eve acting on our behalf, you ought to see yourself acting in and through them. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's great. I, maybe just one thing I would kind of add is we yeah. all know, we all know uh, from our own experience, right, that, that we all have to deal with the consequences of other people's sins. So we, we, we just happen to live in a world that if I sin, if, if I cheat on Anna, you know, my, my, my wife, I'm not the only one dealing with that consequence, right? That consequence affects her, affects all my children, it affects you, it affects my brothers, it affects my entire church family. And so just the way that God has made it, God has created it, sin, as, as Pastor Jimmy Scroggins, we both know and love really well, he always says sin splatters, right? And so you don't yes. sin, 
in a vacuum, it goes everywhere. And, and so right, wrong, or different, God ordained it to where they were our representatives. And right, wrong, or indifferent, we have to deal with the effects of their sin, just like you would in a family, business, church, a team. People's mistakes impact not just themselves, they impact everybody around them. And that's the way that God had ord- has ordained it to be. And Tim, thank God he also ordained a, another representative, another head in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul builds a whole system of theology in Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 about either you're in one head, the right. head of sin, Adam, or you're in another head, the head of righteousness, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And thankfully, in Christ, we get back everything we lost in Adam and more. And by the way, we didn't deserve that either. Right, it's right. all of grace. It's all of grace. That's right. So that that perfectly ends what I want to do. That sets up our next week's doctrine, which is the doctrine of Christ. And I'm going to have John. So your son, my brother, he'll be with us for the next two weeks. We're going to look at the doctrine of Christ, doctrine of, of salvation together. And that sets us up perfectly for the solution that God has provided, the yeah. way out of sin that God has put in our has put in our hands through through Jesus, through his salvation. So we're going to be talking about that. So that also very, very helpful. Let's move to the two-minute round. And so I'm just going to ask you some questions. I may think of some others off the top of my head. You just answer them uh, the best that you can, as quickly as you can. Some you should know immediately, but we'll test how, how crispy you are today. So here we go, two-minute how long have you and mom been married? How many years? It will be 43 years on May the 27th. All right. Very good. How many grandkids currently do you have? 14. How many boys? How many girls? Uh, eight girls, six boys. All right. Very good. Okay. Favorite college football team and favorite NFL football team? Georgia Bulldogs, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, that's, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a pleasant time right now in the Aiken home very often, but Cowboys and Bulldogs, we are anything but loyal. If we are anything, we are loyal. We are loyal. All right, favorite, and nobody will judge you for this question. They won't email us. They won't They won't uh, give us any hate mail. What's your favorite movie? Wow. Either uh, Tombstone or Godfather 1 and 2. Okay, and we have some big Tombstone fans uh, in our church. I've quoted Tombstone before, and, and they – have to watch some of the language. You do. Both In both movies, again, don't email us. We understand it. We got it. So – uh, we understand, but uh, good, good movies there. Okay, one question you would like to ask God when you get to heaven. One question you want to you want to know the answer to when you get to heaven. Will you let me hang out with your mother and all the boys and all the grandkids? <laughs> can we so, be in the same? Can we be in the same house? Yeah. So my 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 kids always ask me questions, and, and you and my you know your grandkids, my and Anna always ask me questions about heaven. I don't have all the answers. You know, she always asks, like, are we not going to be together in heaven or, or am I not going to see you? I, what's the answer, Dad? Do you, have any, do you have any insight? I think we will because heaven will be a place of perfect joy. And we love being with each other so much now. How can we be denied that in heaven? Okay. Yeah. I'm a, I'm gonna, the most wonderful thing is we'll get to be with Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to stick with those answers. Those are, those are good. All right. If you and mom, now y'all traveled a lot for some uh, kind of backcountry People from Georgia, you guys have traveled the world uh, and, and been around a lot. But if there's one place that you haven't been, one place y'all could go together, or maybe a place you would go back and visit again. Anywhere in the world you and mom could go together, where would you go? Well, we love Istanbul. Yeah, 
Yeah. Y'all were there for several years and it's just a phenomenal city in so many ways. Everything you could want uh, in some measure is there. So we really like Istanbul. But again, we also love going to Israel and yeah. Jerusalem is a remarkable place. When is your, do you have a trip planned yet to Israel again soon or anytime? Right now, tentatively, Lord willing, next December uh, 27th through January the 5th. Of, of 2022? 2021, 2022. Okay, so then so this, this coming December. This coming December. Okay. this year. All right. And uh, all right, what's your favorite drink? Obviously, we don't mean alcoholic beverage. What's your favorite thing to drink? Uh, iced tea and Diet Coke. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very good. Last question. It's kind of, this is a serious question. Last one. I'm sure you thought about it. When you finally, we hope it doesn't happen for many, many years to come, but when you finally go to meet Jesus, what do you want your legacy to be? As people are celebrating your life, glorifying God, celebrating your life, remembering you at your funeral, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, he loved and served the Lord Jesus and it, carried out and carried down into his children and grandchildren. Okay. Well, I, I really mean this. I mean, you're, you're on a, you're on a good path for that. I think so far, you know, obviously you got to see us baptize Caleb on. How many grandkids is that? Yeah, now? I'm trying to think there? through that now. So obviously I'm trying to go in order. So Maddie, the oldest grandchild has been baptized. Uh, okay. Micah has been baptized. Third would be Levi in age. She has been baptized. Fourth, I believe, would be Emma Grace. She has been baptized. Uh, I know Judah, obviously, five. Jordan, has Jordan been baptized? I thought so. Okay. If Jordan has been, then then they believe Caleb is seven. That's that's kind of the age order. And so we do, you know, we do, we obviously don't practice infant baptism in the Aiken family, but we do pray that they become Christians at young ages. And we walked them through that journey well and correctly. And so it was a joy to baptize him. So I think seven of the 14 uh, so far, we'll see if God gives you a few more grandchildren before. That's all on Nate. It is all. Yeah. Nate's the, Nate's the one, unless there's adoptions or something like that. Yeah. In the future, Nate, Nate and Kelsey, are the ones can get along biologically. So we'll see. We'll see. I've definitely done my part in, uh, in, uh, in, in that. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But dad, thank you so much for the time. It's been awesome. We appreciate you being on the podcast. And for all of our listeners, we do hope uh, that this theology series has been encouraging to you. Again, we'll be back next week as we talk about the doctrine of Jesus and the importance of that. So y'all have a great week. Thank y'all for being on the podcast.